Welcome to the 245th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our review of the NFL Conference Championship Games, our weekly look at the NBA, and our weekly look at college basketball. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start in the NFL with those conference championship games where Patrick went one and one in his predictions. In the NBA, Patrick went two and two with his predictions. And in college basketball, Patrick went three and one with his predictions. That brings his total for this week to six and four and his overall record to 994 and 632. That's an overall winning percentage of 61.1%. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions. Well, the winning percentage hasn't changed much in a few weeks. Um, the NFL, um, obviously, like you said, went one and one. I picked both the home teams. Uh, as we know, the Chiefs went on the road and got that victory, so I got that one wrong. Um, but the Niners did come back and beat the Lions, so I got that one correct. Um, so one and one there. And then in the NBA, I went two and two, as you said. The Nuggets beat the 76ers 111 to 105, and the Knicks beat the Heat 125 to 109. Those were my two correct predictions. Uh, the Clippers beat the Celtics 115 to 96. That's the Celtics' second road home, excuse me, second road, second home loss of the season, I should say. Um, that I predicted incorrectly. And then the Kings beat the Mavericks 120 to 115, which I also predicted incorrectly. So that's how I got to two and two in the NBA, although all those games were pretty close other than that Clippers game. The Knicks game, they started down early and it stayed close for a while. So it wasn't as much of a blowout as the scoreboard would indicate. Um, and then in college basketball, uh, three and one record at number 23, Iowa State beat number seven, Kansas, 79 to 75. Um, I would say that was Kansas is, you know, a little overrated um, and Iowa State is probably a little underrated i had them a lot higher than the ap poll did in my own personal top 25 um last week and i think i continue to do so although i'm not sure how much ground they made up actually i haven't looked at the poll um since they got that win so maybe now uh people have given them enough spots um up of upward movement that they might be in line with where i had them originally um but good win for iowa state regardless they're 14 and 0 at home this season for 13 and 0 um, number 21, BYU, beat Texas 84-72. to They lost earlier in the week to Houston at home, so this was avenging that earlier week, uh, earlier in the week loss. Uh, made sure you don't go, you can't go 0-2 in a week in the Big 12. Um, but <laughs> it's a hard conference to win in, but you'd like to at least sneak out one win every week, no matter what your schedule is. If you want to stay in the upper echelon of teams, get yourself a really good seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, then... Number 18, Utah State beat Boise State 90 to 84 in overtime. That was a loss for me. Um, I predicted that Boise State would pull another upset. They had been doing that pretty frequently recently um, at home, especially uh, as they were ascending up the Mountain West standings, which is one of the best conferences this year. But Utah State does pull, I guess, technically a road upset. I don't know if they were favored or not, but um they get the big win on the road, and that's what's important for them. And then number 25, New Mexico, beat Nevada 89-55. to 55. That game was a lot less close than I thought it would be, um, but New Mexico really showing their dominance in that one with that big win. So overall, I'm pretty satisfied with the week. Uh, obviously, no NFL next week, and then just the Super Bowl prediction. 
um, the week after that. So starting to go back to only basketball predictions, barring uh, barring any tennis majors coming up. And then eventually we'll get back to baseball predictions in about what, uh, two months. Yeah. In, in two months, we'll get back to baseball predictions. Um, but for now, it'll be all basketball. You'll hear a lot of bracket talk on the podcast in the future as well. All right. Well, Patrick's predictions that won't include football for, for the uh, first time in a long time for next weekend will be posted on our website uh, on Thursday. That's at fourthand24.com. So while we can, let's do a review of the two of the final three uh, football games of the year in the NFL, the NFL championship conference championship games. Well, I probably won't be doing Pro Bowl coverage, which is why we said um, these will be pretty much final games to cover. But starting with that Chiefs-Ravens game, I mean, it was really a game of missed opportunities um, for the Ravens. The Chiefs got all their 17 points in the first half. A 17-7 lead isn't insurmountable at home. The Chiefs' defense is really good. Um, It's a great defense, actually. It's probably top five in the NFL, but... I don't think their defense is shut down enough that a 10-point lead is insurmountable um, whatsoever. And you can see that by how how often the Ravens were able to get down the field. It's just that they had a lot of trouble actually putting the ball um, in the end zone. They had a lot of mistakes. They had two drives of over 60 yards that didn't result in points in the second half. They fumbled uh, on the one-yard line, as we know, Zay Flowers trying to reach the ball into the end zone. Uh, That was at 17 to seven. The chiefs punted after that. And the Ravens went from their own one yard line all the way down to the chiefs 20, 25 yard line, excuse me. Um, But then Lamar threw an interception. So they really did have their opportunities. Both of those could have been scoring opportunities. They obviously kicked a field goal later as well to make it 17 to 10. So just take one of those two drives and convert it into a, a touchdown, especially the Zay flowers drive, because he literally was in mere inches away from the end zone. Um, and all of a sudden, you have a tie ball game. I don't know what would have happened on that final drive. The Chiefs were able to go down the field, I guess. get They got their 30-yard pass on third and nine um, to ice the game. So technically, the Chiefs would have ended up ahead by the end of that um, trade-off. But you never know what would have happened with Baltimore going for the field goal and all that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Baltimore just missed a lot of opportunities. Like I said, the, the interception and the fumble were big deals. They just never really got anything going offensively enough to put pressure on the Chiefs. Uh, Their defense did a great job in the second half. The Chiefs punted on every possession except for the end of the game. Um, And most of those were three and outs, actually. Out of the five Chiefs drives, three of them are three and outs. Then there was an eight-play, 23-yard drive and a seven-play, 32-yard drive. And both of those also resulted in punts. So Baltimore's defense did its job to keep them in the game. But the Chiefs' uh, defense did just a little bit better, especially in the first half because um, Baltimore did get gashed to start the game. Uh, and that ended up being the difference, pretty much. That and the missed opportunities that I already talked about. Um, and then you have, I would say, the more interesting game. Uh, the Lions jumping out to a big lead over San Francisco. They were up 14 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. It was honestly really surprising. I didn't expect that at all. Um, and when you look at how the Niners normally play, you kind of expect them to just control games, and when they don't, seems like their plans are going awry and you just don't know if they're going to be able to um, come back from that. But in this game, eventually Christian McCaffrey struck back. That was the only score though um, of the first half for the Niners and Detroit entered halftime with a 24 to seven lead. Uh, But then things turned all Niners after that. Um, They scored 
what is that? 27. Yeah. 27 unanswered points. Just wanted to check my math there, but they scored 27 unanswered points um, between the third quarter and the middle of the fourth quarter. And by that time they had built up a 10 point cushion up 34 to 24 after an Elijah Mitchell touchdown. And then the lions did get one final touchdown to bring this game uh, back to within three points, but that was not enough. Um, in terms of things in this game, I mean, there was a lot of talk about the fourth down decisions. Um, you know, I, I don't, I honestly don't, I, I don't have an educated enough opinion to say whether those things were bad choices or not. I, I honestly think that when Dan Campbell goes for it, you just kind of have to hope it works out. I mean, on the first fourth down, on the, on the fourth and two that they had that was in San Francisco's territory, they just dropped the pass. Like, they they could have easily, that being the one where they were up 24 to 10, they dropped the pass. I mean, it is what it is. So I don't necessarily think that was the worst decision to go for it there. It was a 45-yard field goal anyway, so no offense to Michael Badgley, but it's not like they have Justin Tucker back there. So I'm okay with that because it was a, a longer field goal um, and a short distance to go for it on fourth down. So, I mean, this is, this is what you get with Dan Campbell. Though. This is what he does. Um, it's just part of the Lions playbook. It's the reason why they're here. Frankly, it's also the reason why they lost a few games this year, like going for it, uh, going for two against the Cowboys repeatedly when they could have sent the game to overtime. Uh, even after a penalty, that's just how it is. Um, Dan Campbell's going to keep being aggressive. And if he stops being aggressive, they'll probably lose more games in the regular season because he'll be coaching out of his own style. But at the same time, yeah, it might've come back to bite them um, on Sunday. And maybe, you know, you could say by situation, you take your chances with the 45 yard field goal. Cause you could go back up 17 um, against a team that you don't think can can really mount a comeback if you put enough distance in between you and them and they're forced to pass the ball a lot, but they never quite built enough of a cushion where the Niners had to abandon their game plan. Although, you know, the Ravens did that earlier um, in the day, only ran the ball six times to, with their running backs, despite the fact that they probably could have kept running since they were still in the game the whole time, but that's a different argument. Um, still lions had a great season came out of nowhere. Uh, a lot of people predicted that they might be able to do that. Frankly, they beat the Chiefs week one in Arrowhead, and people thought maybe it was a Super Bowl preview if they were really overreacting. Um, but, you know, as much of an overreaction as that might have seemed like, it was actually pretty close to being the real Super Bowl. Um, but in the end, we get the old boring Chiefs 49ers matchup, the matchup of the current dynasty and the old dynasty, the teams that have played each other in the Super Bowl now twice in four years. Obviously, the Chiefs have been in it in the interim one more time as well and won it that time also. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it'll be an interesting game. Um, I'm, I, as you can tell, I'm not too excited about the matchup. I, I definitely, I've always been a fan of parody in sports, um, unless it's my favorite team's winning, but that doesn't happen too often. Um, so I, I'm not a big fan of the matchup just because the same teams over and over again, whereas you could have gotten Lamar, Jackson in his first Super Bowl and you could have gotten the Lions in their first Super Bowl ever so um disappointed that it didn't end up with that but at the same time it'll still be a great game um it will be probably the two best teams coming into the season um playing for the Super Bowl despite all the things they both went through in the regular season yeah uh conference championship games of missed opportunities for the two losing teams um and the only thing different about this matchup I guess San Francisco Kansas City is different quarterback 
uh, for the 49ers. Um, and Brock Purdy stepped up during that game with his legs, something I didn't expect. Um, all right, well, we will be talking about the Super Bowl uh, in a couple weeks when the game is, and but there won't be much football talk in between, as Patrick said. I don't think the uh, all-pro skills competition and flag football game is worth the, the time of this podcast. What is worth the time is our weekly look at the NBA. And as always, we're going to start with our most impressive teams of the last week. Yeah, one team that's definitely worth the time are the New York Knicks. They are 4-0. and this week but even more impressive they have been amazing since trading for og and anobi uh they have won 13 of their last 15 games overall i couldn't pinpoint exactly when that trade was just because i didn't have enough time to prepare to do that but look it doesn't really matter 13 of 15 is amazing um and it just seems like the team is fitting better together currently than it was before um and now it's up for the knicks to keep it up and potentially challenge for an even higher seed in the east this week, they beat Brooklyn, Denver, Miami, and Charlotte. So a good mix of teams, honestly, a top team in the in the um, West, obviously the defending champs. Uh, two teams that are kind of in the play-in range in the East, one of them just kind of staying afloat, that being Brooklyn, and then Miami kind of on a little bit of a slump, in a little bit of a slump, I should say, right now, um, but definitely a team with a lot of potential. Um, and then Charlotte, obviously, is just bad. But look, they're already up to tied for third in the standings with the Sixers. So uh, no Knicks fans can complain right now about where they are in the standings, and they're not that far off from the two seed either. So it's the Knicks can actually potentially be hosting um, a conference semi-series, which would be insane if you told someone that heading into the year. And frankly, it would be insane if you told someone that three, four weeks ago, but or even like two weeks into the season. But you know, Joel Embiid has missed enough games and the Sixers cannot win without him for some reason. Um, so it's just they've had opportunities open up for them and they've climbed up the standings in the interim. Um, then you have the Kings. They went 3-0 this week. They beat Memphis, Dallas, and Golden State. Uh, everyone in the West is in need of a dominant week every once in a while to comfortably make the playoffs. The Kings are nowhere near, you know, completely safe after this week. But four wins a row, ha- four wins in a row has the Kings in fifth, only behind the group of four teams who are within two games of the one seed and the one seed themselves. Um, Wins over fellow playoff hopefuls. Dallas and Golden State, though, were extra helpful this week as they knocked those two teams down to peg. Golden State really, really falling out of the race um, after what happened then this week, Um, although I won't mention it because their losses weren't that bad. They just lost an overtime game and a one-point game. Um, But at the same time, they're still... Uh, falling down even with Draymond coming back Um, and then Dallas is a team that they've kind of been up and down um, record wise they I think they should be better than they are but you know injuries have stopped them every once in a while Luca had a 73 point game this week but I think that was one of the two wins if they got any more than one this week so they're inconsistent should be a lot better than they are but they're not Um, if you want to go the opposite of inconsistent you have the Clippers they went three and one this week They beat Boston, Toronto, and the Lakers. Uh, They lost to Cleveland, but the Clippers, you know, they might have lost their final game of the week uh, to the Cavs last night, but they sent a strong enough message earlier in the week to earn a spot on this list. They beat their fellow LA rivals uh, and then went on the road and beat Toronto and the juggernaut that is Boston in their own building, which I talked about earlier, um, which is something that, again, only the Nuggets have done all season long, and that was just a week ago. Um, And then the Clippers are now just two games back of Minnesota for the one seed, Although there's some traffic ahead of them as well, because you also have uh, the, excuse me, you have the Denver Nuggets up there um, competing and the OKC Thunder 
Um, so there's there there are teams still ahead of the Clippers, but they are only two games back, and that's all they can control. And they have been playing. I think if you took out their stretch where they went eight and ten, I think they're pretty far ahead of the rest of the league, honestly. Um, so they have been playing like a one seed for a while, and since we're only about halfway through the season, um, they they still have a chance to actually go out and claim that one seed. I guess we're a little bit past the halfway point. Most teams haven't played forty five ish games, um, but. I still think of the rest of the 35 games of the season, two games is not that ridiculous of a deficit to make up. So they definitely have a chance to claim that number one overall seed, which would be interesting um, to see uh, what would happen with the Clippers there. And then finally, I mean, we could even see a Lakers Clippers playoff series for, for, for all that I care. Uh, that'd be interesting, but the Pacers, they are the fourth team on here. They also went three and one this week. Uh, they made a few appearances on the wrong side of this list, but it appears that the Pascal Siakam trade has allowed Indy to right the ship. Uh, they're now sitting at 27 and 20 after winning their final three games of the week. That record is good enough to be three games ahead of Miami and Orlando, although they are two and a half back of Cleveland and three back of both Philly and New York. Uh, they've kind of carved out their own little, little spot in the standings for now, but um, it's a decent place to be in right now. You'd like to improve that a little bit, get a little more distance between you and the play in. But for now it's a decent place. The, the Pacers will take it, especially given, uh, preseason expectations and how young their team is. Okay, well, let's move to the other side again, uh, as we do every week, the other side of the coin, the least impressive teams of the past week in the NBA. Well, I hinted at it earlier. I said they were in a slump. It's the Miami Heat. They went 0-4 this week, uh, lost to Phoenix, the Knicks, Boston, and Memphis. And, you know, just when it seemed everything was starting to trend up for this team, they've undone all the good from the past, um, like two and a half weeks ago when they were on big winning streak. Uh, they've now lost seven games in a row, and while they're currently at the top of the play-in bracket, they're still in a tedious position. Uh, this week featured a home loss to Memphis and an embarrassing 33-point loss against Boston at home as well. Miami just needs to start playing better soon. Um, in second, we have the 76ers. They went 0-3 this week, lost to Indy, Denver, and Portland. Uh, they might have had the most embarrassing single loss of any team on this list when they lost last night to the Blazers. Um, although Embiid wasn't playing, this was still, a you know, a game that a playoff roster beside him should have been well-equipped enough to handle, but they couldn't. In addition to losing that game by 26 points to Portland, um, the Nuggets and the Pacers also defeated the Sixers this week. And Philly has now fallen into a tie with the Knicks for third place, as I mentioned earlier, in the East after separating itself pretty far from everybody else um, at the beginning of the season. Obviously, Boston and Milwaukee were still with them or above them throughout that time. But other than those two teams, they were really, really separate. And then, this, and then the third team, I should say, on this list, we have the New Orleans Pelicans. They went one and three. They did beat Utah at the beginning of the week, um, but that was really, really early, and they just ran out of steam after that. They had no offense against the Thunder, scoring only 83 points, and then had no defense against the Bucks, where they gave up 141 points before they jumped out to an early lead over the Celtics only to blow it during the fourth quarter. They were up by 10 at halftime. I think they were also up 11 in the fourth quarter. So they pretty consistently held the lead in that game. They just could not close the deal. So the Pelicans end up on this list, mostly because there are a lot of teams that don't win a game every week, but it's the same teams. It's the Spurs, it's the Hornets, it's the Wizards, it's the Pistons, and it's not worth talking about those teams. Um, so I'd rather throw in the best contender who went one and two or one and three than talk about how bad the Wizards are on a week-in, week-out basis, although they did get a few wins this week, so I, no no shame for them. They actually won two games this week, so maybe they should have been on most impressive teams, but 
No, they shouldn't. Those wins were over the Pistons and the Spurs. Um, so not really. Uh, but then for the last team on here, speaking of contenders with a one and two record, you have the Magic, obviously not maybe a title contender, but easily a playoff contender. Um, they're sitting at three and seven in their last 10 games, though. Uh, they lost to Dallas and Memphis this week, and they beat Phoenix, which that's a good win. But, you know, their two losses came by a combined three points uh, this week. So they're getting a pass by landing at the bottom of this list. But at the same time, the Magic shouldn't be in close games against teams like Memphis in the first place, given where they are in the playoff race. So they had to make it onto this list despite that good win against Phoenix, like I said. But the Magic, overall, still a young team. Uh, we'll see what happens with them as the rest of the season unfolds. Okay, finally, let's turn our attention to college basketball. My favorite topic of the week, as always, um, I will start to be really college basketball crazy in a few weeks. Not in a few weeks, actually. It's February in like two days. So that that's when it starts for me. Um, I will be checking when the conference tournaments are later, and I will be starting to get ahead of my work uh, to make sure that I can watch all of those. Anyway, uh, number 13, Wisconsin beat Minnesota 61 to 59. This Wisconsin team has had its fair share of doubts from the outside of its program, but at the same time, this is a good team. Um, they got a solid win on the road here. I was watching this game, very, very entertaining game. Uh, and they get the real test this weekend when Purdue comes into town, into the Kohl Center. One of the four top 10 matchups this weekend. I don't think I've seen a better regular season uh, college basketball slate in a very, very long time for this weekend. So while I'm on the topic, I will just say, Next weekend, we will be talking, or next week, I, I should say, we'll be talking about UConn versus St. John's at MSG. Uh, four, number four, Houston at number eight, Kansas. Um, number seven, Duke at number three, North Carolina. You have Iowa State and Baylor, which is a top 20 matchup as well. Number five, Tennessee at Rupp Arena against number 10, Kentucky. Uh, there are some other good games in there that I won't even talk about. And then there's also that Purdue-Wisconsin game, like I, like I talked about on Sunday. So, if you need something to replace the void of football, there you go. Um, but great slate next weekend. I talked about number four Houston in that uh, they're playing. They beat BYU earlier in the week, 75 to 68. Went undefeated this week with a win over Texas later in the week as well that we'll talk about. Um, but South Carolina, they beat number six Kentucky, 79 to 62. They almost threatened the weekend of having four top 10 teams uh, playing each other because Kentucky very went very close to falling out of the top 10 after that loss. Um, Texas beat number 11, Oklahoma, 75 to 60. Uh, for both of these two teams, it's a signature win. South Carolina, a team with a lot of wins, not a lot of losses, but no signature wins whatsoever until that game. Texas, a team with a lot of losses to good teams, but no wins over good teams at all uh, until this win. Uh, so for both teams, very beneficial wins. Then you have Northwestern, who beat number 10, Illinois, 96 to 91. Northwestern, a team that wasn't unanimously in everybody's brackets before the start of last week, um, especially after losing to Nebraska on the road. And all of a sudden, now a team that's trending towards a seven or an eight seed, um, at worst, a high nine seed, depending on who you ask. So it's just interesting how things can really change. Um, the other thing that helped them that we won't talk about is that they beat Ohio State by 30 at home. And that win, while the Illinois win helped the perception and helped the resume, that win really, really improved the metrics because computers since they go off of efficiency margins, they love big wins. Um, and that one was a big win over a team that frankly is pretty overrated by metrics, which happened last year too. Um, but, you know, Northwestern will take the boost. Um, they're now in a position where 
their resume and the metrics line up enough that when you look at their big wins, they have the win over Purdue. They have the win over Illinois. They have a win over Dayton that people are forgetting about. Uh, all those things line up, and this team is in a pretty good position uh, after originally not looking like they would be escaping the bubble this year. It looks more now like it did last year. Um, Alabama beat number eight, Auburn, 79-75. to 75. I've seen projections for this team in the tournament all over the place. They have so many losses, but you could argue their resume is a top 10 resume in the country. And, I mean, they just played a ridiculous schedule, so it's really hard to evaluate how much you should factor the losses in, especially when they start to put together big wins like this. Um, and then you have Nevada, who beat number 24, Colorado State, 77-64. to 64. Colorado State didn't have a good week. We'll talk about that later. Um, Oregon State beat number nine, Arizona, 83-80 to 80 on a buzzer beater. That was a crazy game uh, that Arizona controlled for much of it, but then lost the lead at the end. Then you have number 13, Wisconsin, who beat Michigan State, 81-66. Like I said, Wisconsin continued to have a good week, rose seven spots in the AP poll after the week. Um, number three, North Carolina escaped Florida State, 75-68. That game was really close for a lot of it. Florida State had their opportunities, definitely could have won the game, uh, just weren't able to close it out in North Carolina. Too good of a team to leave hanging around, and that's what they capitalized off of at the end of the game. Ended up with the victory. Um, then you have Kentucky, who went on the road and beat Arkansas 63-57. to This Arkansas team has been terrible, honestly. Um, everybody thought they were going to be the typical Arkansas where they're bringing a bunch of transfers and they end up with, you know, a high seed. But this team has just not put it together. And at this point, I don't even think there's a path to them to make the tournament unless they actually run the table in the rest of the season. And I just don't think that's happening because they've shown no indications of being that good of a team. Um, number 23, Iowa State beat Kansas. We talked about that one earlier. Mississippi State beat number eight, Auburn, 64 to 58. So two losses on the week for Auburn, although to two very capable teams on the road in both of those games and very close losses in both of them. Uh, so not really going to be held against them much. That's about what you'd expect uh, going on a road trip in the SEC. Both of those two teams are tournament teams. So again, not very surprising, but at the same time, two losses for Auburn um, after they hadn't lost for a while. Number nine, Arizona redeemed their loss against Oregon State by going on the road and beating Oregon 87 to 78. Good win for Arizona, but doesn't do enough. Doesn't fully offset that loss against Oregon State, I will say. Um, and then number 10, Illinois beat Indiana 70 to 62. They struggled in this one uh, a little bit. I expected them to bounce back from that loss against Northwestern and play strong, but they really didn't. Um, and Indiana, you can't win a game if you make zero threes. It's 2024. I don't know how they're, I don't know how they just don't recruit players who can shoot. It's, it's almost impossible to do what they do. Um, but it's the reason why they're not making the tournament. It's the reason why they're not winning tournament games. They just can't shoot the ball. Um, but Illinois took advantage of that this weekend. They were able to come away with a victory in a game that they probably shouldn't have won and probably wouldn't have won playing like that against really most of the rest of the Big Ten. Uh, but number 20, Texas Tech beat number 11, Oklahoma, on the road, 85 to 84. That was a great game as well. Texas Tech improving their resume even more. Um, Oklahoma falling again this week. Number 12, Duke beat Clemson, 72 to 71. They shouldn't have won that game. Um, they had no business winning that game. I, that's all I have to say. They just didn't deserve that win. Um, kind of got handed to them by the refs, uh, all things being honest. But at the same time, number 14, Marquette beat Seton Hall 75-57. That one definitely not decided by the refs. Marquette thoroughly outplayed Seton Hall, who have been pulling off a lot of upsets this year. 
Um, and then you have TCU who went on the road and beat number 15 Baylor 105 to 102 in triple overtime. A lot of overtime games this week is all I have to say about that one. That was not the only one. Uh, Richmond beat number 16, Dayton 69 to 64. They are now the only undefeated team left in the A-10 uh, trending towards pulling that NCAA tournament bid, maybe even as an at-large. I haven't really checked their resume that much, but 7-0 in the A-10 is impressive considering how good Dayton has been and how good a few of those teams were in the non-conference. Not anybody good enough to claim an at-large bid other than Dayton, but still some impressive enough performances that maybe Richmond could uh, sneak in at the back end of the tournament if they continue to play as they have in conference play so far. Um, then you have Utah State who beat Boise State in overtime. BYU who beat Texas, like we talked about earlier for both of those. Uh, Wyoming beat number 24, Colorado State, 79 and 76 in overtime. Talked about Colorado State having a rough week. Uh, this was the roughest of them all. They were up 11 with under a minute left. They were up five with nine seconds left, and they lost. Uh, it's almost impossible to fathom that, but it happened. Um, number two, Purdue beat Rutgers 68-60. Two buildings Purdue never wins in um, over the last three or four years have been at the rack against Rutgers and at Wells Ryan Arena against Northwestern. Well, they avenged the Rutgers loss um, from last year. And actually, Rutgers beat them twice two years ago, too. So they had a three-game losing streak going against Rutgers. Um, and they also had a two-game losing streak going against Northwestern. They get them at Mackey on Wednesday, a.k.a. tomorrow. So we will see if Purdue can avenge that loss. I think they probably will um, as they avenge their loss against Rutgers. Uh, then you have everybody's two favorite teams in the American who just can't stop playing close games. Number 22, FAU beat North Texas 66-63. Uh, but number 19, Memphis lost to UAB 97-88. The difference between those two teams is that Memphis plays with its food and it loses the game. FAU will always be losing by one or two possessions with three or four minutes left, and they always win. But their resume looks terrible because they cannot, they just can't beat a team thoroughly. They always are in overtime games. They're always winning by three or four points. They just can't hand out a blowout. Speaking of blowouts, you want to improve your resume. Number 25, New Mexico beat Nevada 89 to 55. Nevada is probably better than the last three or four teams FAU has played. And yet in this game alone, New Mexico had a larger margin of victory than FAU's margin of victory in the last four games combined. Um, so that just goes to show you how you improve your resume. Um, and then number seven, Duke fresh back into the top 10, beat Virginia Tech 77 to 67, a good road win for them against a strong bubble team. Um, and then number four, Houston beat Texas in overtime at 76 to 72 to close out the week with that big win last night. Okay, well, that closes out this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, February 6th. That is February, as Patrick mentioned, where we will once again have a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions. And because of the absence of football, we will be focused on basketball with our weekly look at NBA action and, again, another review of the week in college basketball. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his NCAA tournament bracket, that will be posted tomorrow and his picks for next weekend's games that, as we mentioned, will be posted as always on Thursday. All of that content on our website, fourthand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.